please be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever received something you did not deserve? How many of you have ever received something you didn't deserve? Just checking. Someone gave you a gift, completely unexpected, totally, totally undeserved. Or God gave you something beautiful in your life, and you just can't believe that he did that. Sometimes I look at my wife, Judy, and think, what did I do to deserve such an incredible, beautiful, and gifted wife? Or I look at my children, gifts from God, and ask, what did I do to deserve such beautiful, godly, and gifted daughters? And of course, these are the wrong questions. What did I do? Well, I did nothing. I did nothing. See, all God's gifts are undeserved. They're undeserved. They're, they're unearnable. I don't know if that's a word, but we made it up today. It's unearnable. And our first response when receiving an unexpected gift is to ask, what did I do to deserve this gift? Something about human nature, I guess. And since we didn't do anything, we try to earn it by giving a gift back or, or offering to pay for it. It's difficult to receive gifts because we do nothing to earn them. They are acts of grace. They're acts of grace. Grace is undeserved. It's undeserved. And I know there's a young lady in this congregation named Grace, but she's not undeserving. But she's. this is the acts of grace. Grace. Last week, we studied the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 2, extreme makeover, the human edition. And we looked at the state people are in before Christ and after Christ. So we talked about the, the before and after and the transformation that Jesus Christ brings to our life when we trust in him as Savior and Lord. And we actually accept his extension of grace, his gifts given to us, his gifts of love, mercy, and grace. And today we're going to expand on the word grace. And this will include the how of the extreme makeover. This is the how of the extreme makeover. Now today we're going to look at grace only. Grace only. I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians as we continue in our study in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2. It's on page 947 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. If you want to follow there, it'll be on the PowerPoint as well. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Today we're going to look at grace. What does grace mean? We're going to look at six characteristics of grace. We're going to look at what saved means. What does it mean to be saved? We're going to look at the role of faith and, the, and a gift. And then what are the results of this new life? What difference does it make? That's, a, that's the question. Now we don't use the word grace in its pure form very often. We say grace before a meal, acknowledging the food that we're about to, to eat is a gift from God. And there are some derivatives of grace that we use, like grateful. 
Grateful comes from the word grace. It's grateful for someone's kindness or gratified, gratified by good news or gracious. Someone's a gracious host or hostess. You leave a gratuity or gratuity as a tip at a restaurant. You get a grace period typically in a house payment or credit card bill or car payment, whatever it might be. You get a grace period. Well, when we start this passage, it starts by saying you are saved by grace. Roman numeral one is saved by grace. It's by grace you've been saved. The message says saving is all his idea and it's all his work. Saved by grace. Let's start by looking at six characteristics of grace. Very important that we understand these six characteristics so we can move on to understand it. The first one is grace is not dependent on what we have done for God. Grace is not dependent on what we have done for God. Grace is unearned. It's unearnable. And the greatest demonstration of grace came from Jesus. What, what did Jesus do? Who, who did Jesus associate with? People who had done something for God? No. Jesus associated with people that we would call the outcasts, the sinners, the undesirables, prostitutes and Samaritans, which were, were, they were, there was this endemic racism that was there if you were of mixed race. He associated with Samaritans, lepers, the lame, the blind, demonized. And he even associated with rich, selfish people, rich, selfish people, tax collectors. These weren't IRS people, but they were tax collectors. And they were rich and they were selfish. He hung out with and he associated with the non-religious types, the irreligious people, People who had not only done nothing for God, but they had nothing to give God. That's who Jesus hung out with. That's who Jesus gave his time to. And of course, when we look at everything, we we discovered in reality that all of us are in that same boat. That we have nothing to give God. We have nothing to give God. He gives to us, even though we've done nothing for God. So grace, first of all, is not dependent on what we have done for God. Secondly, number two, grace is not dependent on what we haven't done. Grace is not dependent on what we haven't done. You know, we we think that as long as I avoid doing certain things, as long as I don't commit those certain sins, and as long as there are enough things I don't do, then God will accept me. That's prevalent, especially in the church today. As long as I don't cross the line. How do I know where the line is? That's always the question. How do I know where the line is that I'm not supposed to cross? In my message a couple weeks ago, I guarantee it, in Ephesians 1, I shared with you my conversation on a plane to Cincinnati with an orthopedic surgeon, an immigrant from India, a practicing Hindu. And as he described his faith to me, he talked of avoiding certain behaviors and being good and doing certain good things. And if you do enough good things, then you'll get to the next level. And in his faith or religion, it was reincarnation. And I'd asked him, how do you know if you've not done too many bad things? And how do you know if you've done enough good things? And he said, you don't know. You, You just hope. And believing that all religions led to the same God, I said to him, you know, There's a difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions defined by do, D-O, 
which basically says if I, if I just do enough, then God will accept me. You hope you do enough, but you can't really know. Christianity is based on the word D-O-N-E, done. Done. Jesus paid the price. Jesus took the action, and that's what grace is. And some Christians live their life as if they have to earn God's grace, and they can't. We can't do enough things to earn his favor. We can't not do enough things to earn his favor. We're saved by grace. It's not dependent on what I have done for God, and it's not dependent on what I haven't done. Bruce Wilkinson tells, tells of a man who came up to him after he taught a session at a conference. This man's wife had pressured him to talk to Bruce to find out if he was going to heaven or hell. Now, I, nobody's ever asked me that before. I want, you, I want you to tell my spouse whether they're going to heaven or not. Okay, but that's, that's what he wanted to find. So, so Bruce turned to this man. He says, so, so what do you believe? And he said, well, it's kind of like a scale. You put all the bad things on this side, and you put all the good things on this side. And Bruce said, okay, let, let's do that. He, and he drew out a, a linear scale. He drew out a line, put an X on each, and he put zero here and 100 there. And he said, okay, let's say 100 is all the good things, zero is no good things. He said, from zero to 100, where would you place yourself on that scale? And the man thought for a moment, he said, oh, probably about 70%. Probably about 70%. He said, so if you hit 70%, God would accept you and you'd go to heaven. And the man said, yes. And then Bruce said, what if God's standard is 71%? How do you know if you've done enough good things or if you haven't done enough bad things? And he said, you know, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the man said, I, I see what you mean. And many of us do the same thing. But our acceptance by God is not based on we, what we have done or what we haven't done, but on what God has done. Which brings us to number three. Grace is initiated by God. Grace is initiated by God. God is always the in initiator. It's always been God searching for people. From very, the very beginning, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, this perfect environment, and they ended up messing it up. And, and I know a lot of us would like to say, man, if they wouldn't have messed up, then um, we'd have been all good. Well, then this says, what if it happened to me? You know, but anyway, Adam and Eve did, they sinned, okay? And they sinned in the Garden of Eden, and it broke their relationship. And God, what, what did God do? <laughs> no. He, he came looking for him. He came searching for them. Why? Because they had broken this relationship. And God was the initiator of that restoration of relationship. Jesus told stories called parables. And every one of these parables has one main truth, typically. And two stories in Luke 15. One is a parable of the lost sheep and one is the parable of the lost coin. And in both stories, we find that something of great value was lost. Something of great value. Has anybody here ever lost your keys? Anybody lost your keys? <laughs> what, how many found out somebody else picked them up and took them home? Yeah, that, yeah it happens. Um, when I lose my keys, I can't think about anything else. It's like, 
I, I've lost something of value, and it, it's, the key, it's my life, you know. It, it's like, where are my keys? I can't find my keys. The concentration, the whole concentration is on finding that which is lost. And in these parables, in Luke 15, something of great value was lost. In each case, so much value was placed on it that a great search was taken up, initiated. And the search continued until it was found. And, and that shows that that's an illustration of the fact that we are what's valuable. We are the ones lost. God is the one who initiates a search because he values us so much and he wants us back in relationship. He initiates that grace. Every winter, we, we, are, we read about snowboarders who have found a place in the Cascade Mountains that no one has been before. Snowboarders typically are very adventuresome. and They want to find a place nobody's been before. And what happens is, all of a sudden, they get lost. Okay? And, and it happens all the time in the winter in the Cascade Mountains of, of Washington. And when they get lost, there's an all-out search for them. Now, the search isn't initiated by the snowboarders. They just got lost. Okay? They didn't do anything to get that search going. They just got lost. And people who place great value on human life initiate a search and go find them. In the same way, God places great value on people. He initiates a search. All we do, we just, we're just lost. He's the one who initiates the search, the relationship rebuild of trying to build that relationship. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God initiated it. And, of course, the difference between human searches and God's searches, people sometimes give up a search as unsuccessful. God never stops searching. God never stops searching. And if you have a family member, a relative, or a friend, or somebody, you can take great hope in that. God will never stop searching, ever. If you are here today and lost and isolated from God, distant from God, God will keep pursuing you, pursuing you, pursuing you because he loves you and he initiates the grace. Grace is initiated by God. And because God never gives up his search, number four, grace is extravagant and wasteful. Grace is extravagant and wasteful. There's so much given. Human searches cost money and manpower, and eventually it can be considered a waste, so they give up. God never gives up. He continues to expend resources on people. Another story at the end of Luke 15, chapter 15, the parable Jesus told about a son who went astray. Some call it the prodigal son. Some call it the prodigal God. But the father in the story who represents God gave his son enormous wealth of his inheritance, knowing full well he was going to lose it all. He just, he just knew he was, going to, he was going to squander it all. And the son squandered his entire inheritance with parties, gifts, fast cars, clothes, women, and bad investments. He ended up losing everything. But when he returned home penniless, he was treated like royalty, like the son. And we say, what a waste. What a waste. All that wealth squandered when, and then more given to him again. What a waste. That's God's love for us. 
We squander so much. We lose it. We waste it. And we return to God broke and penniless. Say, I'm sorry. And God, what does God do? Sends us over there and say, you've got to pay for it. No. He lavishes his grace on us once again. Grace is extravagant or wasteful. Number five, grace is unfair. Grace is unfair. Since we like to earn everything, we like everything to be fair. Okay, we like everything to be fair. Jesus told another story, a parable in Matthew 20, and a current equivalent would be uh, like a Jeff Bezos at Amazon. He started this company, and he hired his original team of workers who took a risk and worked hard for their wages and stock options. Many started with, with sweat equity. Then year two, Jeff Bezos hires again and, and gives wages and stock options. Year three, he hires again wages and stock options. And it goes along for many years. Then I started Amazon last week. And then we all, everybody that worked for him, leave the company at the same time. And we all get the same amount of money. It's not fair. It's not fair. I must get more if I worked harder. I must get more if I worked longer. Certainly, it's not fair. In Matthew 20, the businessman says, Can't I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? It's not fair. It's not fair. Grace is not fair. I hope it's not fair. Because fair implies that I get what I deserve. Fair implies I get what I deserve. I hope grace is not fair. How many of us want what we deserve? I don't. Is grace unfair? I, I hope so. I hope so. And finally, number six, in grace, the price is paid by the giver, not the recipient. The price is paid by the giver, not the recipient. Many of you have read or seen the movie Les Miserables. Les Miserables was written by Victor Hugo and made into a movie and a musical. And the main character, Jean Valjean, takes advantage of a kind church bishop and his sister. After being given food and shelter for the night, he gets up in the middle of the night and steals the family silver. And he gets caught. And in the morning, three policemen show up at the door with Valjean in tow to return the stolen property. And the bishop responds in a way no one expected. And he said, you forgot the silver candlesticks. And he gave him the rest of their treasure and sent him on his way. Grace. And, of course, grace changed Jean Valjean's life. But the price was paid by the giver, the bishop, not the recipient, Jean Valjean. The grace is given, the price is paid by the giver, by God. By this grace, not dependent on what I've done for God, not dependent on what I haven't done by God, initiated by God, extravagant and wasteful, unfair, paid by God, that's the grace by which we have been saved. Saved. Now, what does that mean to be saved? Verse 8 says, you have been saved. Now, we understand saved in in some terms, like if you are taken into a trauma center, you've been in an accident or something happened to you, the doctors there will save your life. They will try to save your life, and they may save your life. If you're a lifeguard 
and you see somebody drowning, the lifeguard's going to go out there and, and save your life, literally, saving your life. There's instances of, 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 glider, of a glider pilot not long ago that was saved when his, his glider started going crazy and he actually had a parachute and his life was saved by his parachute. Now, and we understand saved in those terms, saved. What does it mean here? And before we look at exactly what it means, let's look at the grammar of saved, the word saved. This is, in the term, it's a nominative plural masculine participle perfect passive. Now, I know you can go have lunch now that you know that, okay? It's a nominative plural masculine participle perfect passive. What that means, it was in the perfect tense when it says, you have been saved. It, it actually happened at a point in time. There was a point at which you were saved. And it has present results, present tense part, and it has ongoing results. So when it says you have been saved, there was a point in time that you were saved. It has present results and ongoing results. It's in the passive sense, which means you didn't save yourself. Someone's action was taken on you. And that was God. God saved us by his grace at some point in the past with present and ongoing results. It's God's work entirely. Now, what do we need to be saved from? That sometimes, I, I'll never forget when I was about, I think I was in fourth grade. We were living in Lake Mills, Iowa at the time. And I, I worked up the courage. You know, we, were, we were talking in Sunday school about, about sharing our faith. And, and, and I worked up this courage to, to, to ask this, uh, one of my friends. And I wanted to witness to my friend that I played with. So one day I worked it up and I got all ready and I said, John, are you saved? It took a lot of courage to ask that question. And he turned and said, saved from what? I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. So we just changed the subject and kept playing. I, I didn't know how to answer that, saved from what? And, and you may have the, you know, the same, when you use the term saved, what does that mean? It means when we go back to that, the, the very beginning of creation, we were in relationship with God. Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. And we were in relationship with God, or made to have relationship with God. But we rebelled against God and broke off that relationship. There's a schism. We went our own way. And most people are aware that there's a God or they, they want to have a good relationship with God in some way. So they try to please God by doing good deeds, being a good neighbor, doing nice things, etc., cetera, uh, following the golden rule, etc. And so, And they try to rebuild that relationship with God. But nothing is good enough because we all fall short. That's, that's the Bible says we fall short. So God did for us what we could not do for ourselves and that he died to pay for our sins so that he could restore that relationship with Father God. And that, that death paid for us to be saved, delivered into relationship with God. And that means three things. Saved means, first of all, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness of our sins by confessing, repenting, and returning. And we say, God, forgive me for my sins. Then when we do that, there's a restoration of relationship. And we speak and act and say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me what you want me to be. That's a restoration of relationship. And then it says we're given eternal life. Given eternal life, number three. 
So being saved means we're, we're forgiven of our sins. We restore that relationship with God. And he gives us this free gift of eternal life. So God does for us. And it says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. Let us see his faith. Faith means we look to God, trusting in God, knowing that this saving has to come from someone outside of myself. I look to God, I place my trust in God and submit to his leadership. And finally, this gift, salvation, this saving is a gift. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's the thing that we have a hard time receiving sometimes. It's receiving gifts we don't deserve. It's a gift. The salvation, this restoration of relationship, this eternal life, all that God gives us by grace is a gift. It's not earned. It's just accepted. Not earned. It's accepted. It says, not by works that no one can boast. Wow. Pride is something that's very subtle in our lives. And, I, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but if I do, do something nice to somebody, I think, oh, I, I look pretty good. They must think I'm pretty nice. I did that for them. You know, I mean, it's just human nature. It, it's just this something inside of us. We like to look good. And so when we do something, um, we may not boast about it. We may, you know, the, the, but there's something inside out of all of us that, that can be even can be a motivating factor because it makes us feel good to do nice things. Well, this saving, this what God has done for us, he said, is not by works, so no one can boast. And that levels the entire playing field. We're all in the same boat, no matter what our background, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter where we are today. There's none of us that can boast. Because this was done by God's grace, totally unmerited favor. Salvation, it's a gift. So what are the results? This is a so what. So what are the results of this saving, saved? Roman numeral two says you were saved for good works. These are the results, the results. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. James 2.17-18 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So there are results. There, there are things happen. Something changes. But, and this is in your notes, good deeds do not cause salvation. Good deeds do not cause salvation or being saved. Good deeds don't bring salvation. Good deeds are the effect of salvation. Good deeds are the effect, the result. Good deeds follow salvation. True salvation produces good deeds. So what does Ephesians 2.10 say? First of all, letter A, it says we're, we are under construction. We are under construction. We are God's workmanship. We are a work in progress. Have you visited a construction site lately? Anybody visit a construction site? 
at least one contractor back there has. How many of you have tried to live in a house while you're remodeling it? Oh, a lot more of you than I thought. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not fun. It's messy, it's dusty, it's just disjointed, disoriented, it's half finished, it's not completely useful yet. It hasn't reached its full usefulness yet. And Paul says, we, 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 you all are under construction. We're all under construction. None of us has arrived yet. We all have a long ways to go. And this is grace again. Grace again. We're not perfect. We're under construction. We're under construction. And letter B, we are new inventions. We are under construction and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now we begin Ephesians by talking about discovering our identity. Who am I? God has created you unique for a special, specific purpose. You are his new invention. Think about that. You are his unique, new invention for a specific purpose. There's no one like you. We discovered we're chosen by God. We are adopted by a plan. We were redeemed by God, we were bought back. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the guarantee. And now we find out we're a new invention under construction. Isn't that fun? A new invention. Let us see. It says, it is God's plan. It's God's plan. God prepared in advance for us to do. This is all part of his plan for you. Don't just say that's for all these other people in the church and this amorphous whatever family of God. Personalize it. It's for you. You. God initiated grace. God extended grace, and we receive grace. And the works are our part. And as a recipients of God's grace, we likewise extend grace, and we do good. The Holy Spirit in us does that through us. Doing good to others, good works. Now there's a saying that says courtesy is contagious. Courtesy is contagious. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You're driving down a freeway and you gotta get in the, the lane and somebody lets you in and you wave and somebody else wants to get in, in front of you, so you let them in and pretty soon the whole freeway is friendly. Okay? Because courtesy, of course, is contagious. That can happen in many different contexts. Well, grace is also contagious. God gives us grace. We realize how fortunate we are, and then we extend grace. Grace, grace only. If you're here today and have been expending a lot of energy trying to earn God's favor, stop. It happens by grace through faith, and the results are good works, grace only. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who has extended grace to us and you love us, and I pray that, that we would live in that grace, that we would not try to please you out of, out of obligation, but out of response to your grace and love for us. Because you are such an incredibly good God. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes, that we would be extensions of grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.